Good morning. It's good to see you here this morning. Take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14, that's what we want to look at and examine this morning, the last Sunday in June. And since it's the last Sunday, we are spending our time together this morning focusing on prayer. We want to look at what Jesus teaches about prayer. As you make your way there, you probably know this, but in the opening pages of The Hobbit, you find Bilbo Baggins sitting outside. He's actually standing outside enjoying a pipe, and a stranger comes up to him, and the reader knows that it's Gandalf, but Bilbo greets the wizard. He says, good morning. And the wizard responds, uh, what do you mean? He says, do you wish me a good morning? Or do you mean that it is a good morning, whether I want it or not? Or that you feel good this morning? Or that it is a morning to be good on? To which Bilbo replies, all of them at once. A few paragraphs later, Bilbo once more wishes Gandalf a good morning. And at that point, Gandalf says, what a lot of things you do use good morning for. Now you mean that you want to get rid of me and that it won't be a good morning until I've moved off. Tolkien here is, of course, indulging his love of language and its use, but something as simple as good morning can be used for a variety of meanings and purposes. And we see this because it's used, all of them at once, Bilbo says, but then another one is added to it where essentially Bilbo is saying, shoo, get out of here, you know. Uh, but Gandalf's question, what do you mean? How is it that there is a phrase that could have so many meanings? And then we ask, well, what do we actually mean by that phrase? That question echoes in my mind for what we want to talk about this morning because we are going to examine a phrase that probably many of you have it in your vocabulary. It is a phrase, an expression that you probably use, maybe without realizing it, maybe without understanding the depth of what is communicated by those phrases. You may have even said it this morning in Sunday school. What phrase am I talking about? It's that little phrase that we tack onto the end of our prayers. In Jesus' name I pray. What do you mean? When you say, in Jesus' name, I pray. And here is where we want to ask the question, like Gandalf, what do you mean? What do we mean? What does it mean to pray in Jesus' name? Why do Christians even pray in Jesus' name? Is this a coverall for closing out our prayers where we are essentially saying, I hope everything I've said is good. Is it a magical formula that just by saying that, boom, all of our prayers will be heard? Or do we pray in Jesus' name simply because that's what we've always heard, that's what we've always done, and after we've said everything that we've thought about saying, we just kind of fall into like, okay, i got to close the prayer now, so here's the things that I say, and we don't even think about it. Or do we mean all of them at once? We want to examine this phrase, and in order to, to gain a, great, a greater and deeper understanding, we're actually going to spend the next two Sundays in this passage examining what we mean when we pray in Jesus' name. 
And so our text for this morning and for next week is John chapter 14. And we're going to look at verses 12 through 14 and look at what it means to pray in Jesus' name. So there, Matt, uh, not Matthew, speaking of things you say without thinking, John chapter 14, beginning in verse 12, listen to the word of the Lord. And that can mean in two senses, right? The word of the Lord, that this is Jesus speaking, the Lord speaking, but it's also the word of the Lord as it's inspired scripture. Jesus says, truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. And he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Verse 13, whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So to understand what it means to pray in Jesus' name, it's helpful to understand two aspects about the context that this idea occurs in. There's two aspects. Number one is Jesus' coming departure. What does Jesus say? He says in verse 12, I am going to the Father. That language is so interesting because the original says to the Father. It literally means into the presence of the Father. It's the same phrase that's used in John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God. The Word was in the presence of God. And Jesus says he's returning back to that place. And so he's talking about his coming death, his resurrection, and then his ascension back into heaven. And notice Jesus says that the one who believes will do great works. Why? Because, look at what it says, verse 12. Why? Because I am going to the Father. The, the basis for us doing greater works is that Jesus is leaving and going back to the Father. So we have this coming departure that Jesus is talking about. That's the first aspect. The second aspect is Jesus' continuing determination. His continuing determination. It's in this context of his imminent departure and ascension. That Jesus says, this is my desire. This is what I came determined to do. But I'm leaving. You'll be here. But I will answer. Why? Because if you ask in my name, I still have the same desire. And what is that desire? Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, whatever you ask in my name, what? I will do it. Why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And then he reiterates it. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. So what's Jesus' continuing determination? What is he committed to doing? He's committed to the Father being glorified in the Son. So that's Jesus' consuming desire that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And we're going to spend more time talking about that next week, Jesus' continuing determination. But this morning we want to focus really on the coming departure and what that means for praying in Jesus' name. Whatever we might say, it understand whatever we might say about praying in Jesus' name, it involves these two aspects. So Jesus is leaving. His followers will come after him. Notice what he says. He says, The one who believes in me will do greater works, but he's leaving, and we will follow him, not just in the sense of coming after him. But notice Jesus says that 
because he's going, we will pray. So what that means is we will follow him to where he is. Jesus says in multiple places, right? I go to prepare a place for you. That where I am, you may be also. So Jesus is going ahead of us. So we will follow him in the sense of he's returning to the Father. So that's, that's in the context of prayer. Jesus is leaving to go into the presence of the Father, to return back to heaven, to the Father. And then he starts talking about prayer. So it's not just that we follow him temporally, but that we follow him spatially, that we will go where he is. And what's the context that Jesus is talking about? Prayer. You get what I'm saying, right? We don't just follow him sequentially. We just don't come after him in time that Jesus left and now we're left here. But Jesus says that we will follow him into the presence of the Father, right? And what's the context that Jesus is talking about? Prayer. So what I'm saying is prayer is how we follow Jesus into the presence of the Father. So, I think here, at the very least, the main thing that we could say this morning is that praying in Jesus' name means that we acknowledge this truth. Okay, this is the main idea. I hope you get this, if nothing else. We have access to the Father only through Christ the Son. We have access to the Father only through Christ the Son. Praying in Jesus' name name means that we recognize and admit that we come to the father because jesus returned to the father his coming departure meant he was going back and we follow him there he is the only way we have access he is the only way and the only name that we can come we must come in the name of christ he must be our refuge he must be our way our truth in our life. To pray in Jesus' name is to say, I cannot come by any other name, only by this name, by the name of Jesus Christ. And so when we pray, when we pray as those who have access, we're saying we're, we come by the blood of Christ. Martin Luther put it this way. He says, prayer is offered in the name of Jesus because this name is the prime factor and foundation on which prayer is to stand and rest. So praying in Jesus' name is an acknowledgement that we can only come because of Jesus. Our access is opened not only because Jesus ascended, but because Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood for the forgiveness of sins and he rose again. So praying in Jesus' name means we have a, a real awareness of this. We are aware that we come because when we trusted in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we were clothed in his righteousness. We were given his name. We were wrapped up in Christ's own righteousness and not our own. The flip side of that is we cannot come dressed in our own robes, dressed in our own garments. Isaiah 64, 6 says, All our righteous garments are like a polluted garment. And so our garments, uh, our, our righteousness clothes that we might want to wear and to come into God's presence, the Bible says, are really just polluted garments. They're stained with sin. And they're stained with sin for two reasons. First of all, they're staying with sin because we're descended from Adam. 
but they're also stained because of our own rebellion. In other words, think of it this way. You know, have you, how, let's take a poll. How long, I think there are two kinds of people that, that wait. You ever buy a shirt and it has a tag in it? There's two kinds of people. There's people who rip it off immediately. They don't even care if it puts a hole in the shirt. Right? They want the tag on. But then there's other people that leave it, and those are crazy people. So you can guess which one I fall into. But we all look at those shirts, right? We look at our clothes, we look at the tag, and we see what it's made of, and then we see where it's made and if we were to look at our own righteous garments and see, what does the tag say? Well, it would say nothing like fully righteous, made of righteousness. In fact, it'd probably say something more like 50% pride, 40% idolatry, 10% lust, or some other variation. And it wouldn't say made in heaven. It wouldn't say that uh, we are is made of righteousness. In fact, it'd probably say... Uh, uh, made in Eden, or actually, you know, fallen in Eden, it might actually say. But it's not just that Adam sinned, it's that we sin. They are stained, our garments are stained because we choose to sin, we choose to rebel, we choose to disobey. And because of that, we have no hope of coming to the Father dressed in our own righteousness, in our own drab robes. And as much as you might think you can fix it, you can't. We can't. We see this in Genesis. They tried it already. It's been tried. It's been done. Adam and Eve tried. If you go to Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, it says that after they disobeyed God's one command, their eyes were open to their sin, and what did they do? They tried to sew fig leaves together to make loincloths for themselves. But that's not enough. A leaf could not do what was necessary. It could not solve the problem. And we are no better than Adam. We're no better than what they tried to do. What Adam and Eve needed was to be clothed by God in something that was sufficient. And that's exactly what God did in Genesis 3.21. It says, The Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. What's the difference between the leaf and the skins? Blood. And so the hope of man is not that we clothe ourselves and merit access to the Father, that we earn access to the Father, but that God would clothe us so that we can come into His presence. So, if we say Jesus is the way that we have access, we see that we have no way of accessing it. We, have, we are hopeless in our old nature. In Adam, we're dressed in our polluted garments. We have no hope that we could have access. But we see even in the very beginning that God provides that which is needed. And what we're talking about, C.S. Lewis would say, is Adam unparadised. We, we've been unparadised. C.S. Lewis in this poem, Adam unparadised, says, faltering with bowed heads, our altered parents slowly descended from their holy hill and their good fortune left behind and done with out through the one-way paths. There's one way out. And what you need to know this morning is that there's only one way back in. 
And it's Jesus Christ. So how in prayer can we come to have access? If we know that our own garments are unrighteousness and we need to be clothed, how can we come? George Herbert has a poem entitled Prayer, and he describes prayer as man well-dressed. Well-dressed. This theme of being clothed, being well-dressed. How can we be well-dressed knowing that our garments are stained with sin? There's a poet, Malcolm Geich, who unpacks this claim that prayer is man well-dressed. And he has a poem, and in, he has two stanzas. The, the first one looks at us as if we are still in Adam, as if we are still in the garden after the fall. We're there in Adam. And you say, why? Well, apart from Jesus Christ, that's where we all are, correct? Longing to be in the garden, but realizing that we come up woefully short, we're still condemned by Adam in our own sin. Adam's in the, I mean, think about that. that. That in between space, after Adam falls and they commit the sin, there's, there's a period where they're still in the garden. And that is what we want, right? We want to be able to stay. We want to be in God's presence. We want to enjoy the fellowship. And so we hope and we hope and we hope. But what is ultimately happens? They're forced out. And so there at the very beginning, we see that we cannot come into God's presence in our own merit. It's a, really, that, that, that little uh, in-between is a picture of prayer. If prayer is coming into the presence of the Father, coming apart from Christ, that little, that little in-between in Genesis is a picture of prayer. Apart from Christ, we're sent out. But because of Christ, we're welcomed in. But anyway, in the second stanza, Guy, he, he describes God's provision. But listen to, listen to the poem as, as it moves from the garden and the guilt to grace and gathering. Okay. So this is Malcolm Guy, a man well-dressed. He says, that old voice from the past, I was afraid. For I was naked and I hid myself. And somehow I'm still there, lost in that glade, feeling exposed, ashamed, and in my stealth, still holding the fell fruit. He finds me as my withered fig leaves fall away. And still he clothes me. For the way of heaven is always to give and give to those who steal. But now the skin I'm clothed in is his own. He makes himself a garment for us all. At once the bridegroom and the wedding gown. I step forth from the thicket of my fall. Already dressed in every gift he gave. Gathered and girdled by his circling love. Apart from Christ, there is a push away. There is a sending away. But in Christ, there is a 
dressing. There is being made beautiful, both bridegroom and wedding gown. We are gathered and encircled and enveloped and brought in. Why? Because of Jesus. Saints, your only hope is Christ. We can come because of Christ. We can enter because of Christ. You have two hopes for coming to Christ or coming to God through Christ. There's actually two ways that you can do this. We have a way through Jesus, but there's another way. One way is that you need to become God. That's one way. You need to become like God. You must become holy and perfect and just and righteous just like God. That's one way you can come into His presence. But we cannot, can we? No. Not in and of ourselves we can't do this. We can no more do this than a leopard can remove his own spots. The only option, and really our only hope, is instead of us becoming God, we need God to become like us. And isn't that what Jesus did? That's the good news of the incarnation, that God became a man. We needed God to take on our likeness. We needed God enfleshed, God incarnate. We needed God to step down and lift us up, not pull our own selves up. We needed God to bend down and scoop us up. We needed not just the door to be opened, but what I want you to understand is you needed someone to carry you, to bring you, to deliver you into the presence. So what you see is what we need is not just hands that are strong enough to reach through death, and sin, and raise us up, and escort us into the Father's presence. We need hands that are strong enough to do that, but are also soft enough to be pierced by nails. Jesus is the Son of God become man. He lives a perfect life. He never sins. He obeys the will of God perfectly. He's crucified for our sins, and the punishment for our sins is put on Him the sins that we deserved. And so, how can we come well-dressed in prayer through Jesus Christ and because Jesus Christ? It's because that when we trust Him by faith, our unrighteousness is put on Him. And when we trust Him by faith, His righteousness is given to us. That's how we're well-dressed to come through prayer. His perfect life is credited to us. And our sinful life, the judgment is put upon Him. The great fantasy writer George MacDonald once wrote, I would go near thee, but I cannot press into thy presence. It helps not to presume thy doors are deeds. And as you think about that, that's really what we're saying. What opens the door? What unlocks the door? It's the deeds. And if your deeds fall short, they do not open the door. But if your deeds are righteous and you are perfect and you never sin, then you can unlock the door. You can open the door and go in. And that's what Jesus did. We could switch the phrase around. We could turn it around and say that Christ's deeds are the door. We are able to enter because Jesus was perfect. 
It's by the deeds of Christ that the doors are open. But as I said, it's one thing to have the door open. It's another thing to go through it. Praying in Jesus' name means that we acknowledge the door is open, but it also means that we recognize that Jesus is how we're brought through it. This is all of Jesus. Not only is the door open, but we need Jesus to be brought through it. You think about this. A lot of times at our house, we'll have a door unlocked, a door open. Uh, you know, we'll have the screen door there that's unlocked and, and anybody could walk in. The door is open, but that doesn't mean anybody can walk in. In fact, if the door is unlocked and you walk in and you're not supposed to be in my house, it's actually probably deadly. No, you have to come in the open door through somebody that I know. You have to be a part of the family to just walk in. And the same is true. The same is true for us. We come and the door is open. But it's not just that Jesus opens the door and he stands back and watches us. He's the door. He opens the door and he walks us through the door. Calvin warns that if we don't approach in the name of Jesus, then there's no way, no access to God remaining. Nothing is left in, in God's throne but wrath and judgment and terror. So, we're helpless not only to open the door but to walk through it. We are so desperate and so needy. And when we pray in Jesus' name, that's what we're saying in part. We are recognizing just how needy we are. Are your prayers seasoned with this kind of desperation? With this kind of helplessness? A recognition that you cannot come to God in your own good works, but you must come by the person and work of Jesus Christ. How do you know if you've forgotten this truth? How do you know if, if this is something that's maybe slipped your mind or you've forgotten about? I want to suggest six ways that you can know if you've had. Now, these aren't foolproof, but these are just ways to test your heart, to test your prayer life, to see maybe, maybe I've forgotten this. Maybe I need to revisit it. Okay, so six tests. Okay, number one, do you start your prayer time with a list of requests? Do you start your prayer time with a list of requests? Although there is a time and a place for this, the question is, what's the habit? Have you forgotten the, the miracle of your access? Have you forgotten just how special it is that Jesus has done all these things for you to open your way that you've, you've so forgotten that you just launch out into, here's what I need, here's what I need, here's what I need, bye. That's one question. Second question. Is there any sense that God owes you anything in your prayers? We may not want to say this out loud, but a lot of times we think God owes us something. Sometimes we think just because we prayed about something, God owes us what we prayed for. We, we might get frustrated. We might say... God, why haven't you answered this prayer? I, I've, I've done this. 
God, God, don't you see that I, I tithe, I go to church, I teach a Sunday school class, I share Jesus with others? Why aren't you answering? That's when we're starting to venture into territory when we're, not even, we're really praying in our own name. God, don't you see my name? Don't you see my reputation? So is there a sense that God owes you anything? Number three, have you lost the wonder of prayer? Does prayer amaze you? Does the wonder of it all capture you such that what if the wonder of prayer so captured our attention and our wonder that we ran out of time to even get our, to our requests? What would prayer look like then? Number four, have you lost the feeling of helplessness? Have you lost the feeling of helplessness? There, there is no way that we come. In fact, prayer and helplessness, you can might even say, are so closely tied together that, that prayer is for the helpless. It's rooted in helplessness. And maybe, maybe you've forgotten that. Number five, do you only pray when you know that you've sinned? Do you only pray when you know that you've sinned? I think when we do this, this is less about coming in Jesus' name and it's more we turn prayer into an act of penance. We're trying to make an atonement by praying. We commit a sin and then that's when we pray. We'll go all week without praying, but then when we commit a sin, we'll pray because we're asking forgiveness and, and we'll, we'll pour out our tears and, and, and we'll use you know, all this great language and, and we'll... we'll you know, weep and, and gnash and wail and we'll just make a big show of it. But in reality, that's not coming in Jesus' name. That's trying to come in your own name, your own good works. But you can only come because of Jesus. So do you pray only when you know you've sinned? Last, number six. Do the words in Jesus' name only function as a way for you to close your prayer. What I want you to see today is that praying in Jesus' name is not so much about closing your prayer. Praying in Jesus' name is how you make your prayer. Now you may ask, how do I cultivate? So you, you have those six questions. How do I cultivate a greater awareness of this access? Let me give you a couple suggestions. First of all, I would suggest that before you pray, you collect your thoughts and you reflect on prayer. Meditate on the fact that what you're about to do is only possible because of Christ. We read the psalm, right? David speaks to his own soul. David says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Before he is, he is launching out into prayer, he is telling himself, bless the Lord. So maybe launching out into prayer in Jesus' name means that you spend a couple minutes and say, my soul, what we are about to do is only possible because of what Jesus did. Be notified, my heart, my spirit, my mind. We are about to enjoy one of the greatest privileges that God 
has ever given a human being. And that is fellowship, communion, communication with the one true God. And that's only because of Jesus. So perhaps you take a few moments to remind yourself. Maybe you read a passage of scripture like Hebrews 9. Hebrews 10, 19 and 20. Ephesians 2, 18. You can read a passage like that and reflect on it before launching out in prayer. You read it and you remind yourself that Jesus is not only the way that the access is open, but he's the one that carries us into the Father's presence. So that's one suggestion. You prepare your heart. Now, you can go too far in this preparation. And then you end up really, what you do is you try to make yourself worthy to come. What I'm not saying is that you get your heart perfectly in order and that you get all your ducks in a row before you come. We have to be... So, so the path I'm laying out here, there, there's a ditch on each side. On the one side, we don't want to come so hastily that we forget the privilege and the wonder that we're coming. But we also don't want to go into the other side where we so focused on preparing and making ourselves uh, worthy to come that we miss the point. Either way misses the point that Jesus is the only way that we have access. And so I, I want us to be careful that we don't spend more time preparing to come to Christ than actually coming to Him. But I also want us to take stock of what it is that we're doing in prayer. So remember, the main idea this morning is that we have access to the Father only through Jesus Christ. To pray in Jesus' name is to admit that this access is only possible because of Him. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You, God, right now that we enjoy this access because of Jesus. We enjoy communion and fellowship with the triune God because for those of us who have trusted in Christ as our Savior our sins are forgiven and we are we're declared righteous and in Christ because of Christ we can come Lord we sing about marvelous grace that is marvelous grace Father, help us to remember what it is we have in prayer. And God, that we would be reminded that we can only come through Christ the Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.